Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. My name is Adam Bodner and I invite you to Visegrad Inside podcast. Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast. Uh, this is Quincy Clute, managing editor of Visegrad Inside. Next to me here in our garage uh, studio is Wojciech Przewilski. He's the editor in chief of the magazine. So uh, as you've heard, we'll have a special guest in the second half of this episode, but uh, let's touch maybe upon some uh, politics uh, of the region. So we're uh, Tuesday, 27th of April. Um, and yes, let's start. Um, Maybe, well, let's leave Warsaw for a bit. Let's go to the regional capital of Zeshuf because there's an interesting story happening there. Local elections were supposed to take place on the 9th of May. And then, uh, well, out of a sudden, you could say there was an ordinance or regulation uh, from, from the prime minister's office that these would be postponed for a month until uh, June. The decision is a little bit suspicious and uh, there has been has been some controversy in particular also because the, the the sort of the main candidate the most popular candidate is is not a peace candidate uh, Konrad Fiowek he's uh, an experienced uh, civil servant um, uh, deputy mayor is supported by uh, lots of parties and, and I would say also probably by a, a large share of the the city's population um, so obviously he's unhappy with uh, the decision but I think this story about local elections uh, potentially also also shows a bigger problem uh, about elections um, in Central Europe, and we'll talk about other countries as well, that uh, if the situation doesn't look like it's going too well for a ruling government, then uh, what stops them from changing the rules, making it more difficult for candidates? Wojciech, how do you see this, this uh, situation? Well, I think you pointed it well. Uh, Central Europe sees liberal narratives uh, fading away in, in popularity all across uh, the, the countries. This was the uh, the subject of our um, brief, we uh, the weekly outlook we released uh, early this week on on Monday, and in, and indeed it also shows um, the, the constraints within the ruling coalition PIS or United Right coalition, where PIS is the leading fraction, and then there are uh, two other fractions, one uh, radical, more, more radical than PIS, which is um, uh, uh, Solidarity, Poland Solidarity, and the other one is um, the agreement by led by uh, Mr. Govin. Now, the two parties, uh, one of Mr. Jobro, the, the radicals of the radical uh, right, uh, uh, have put forward their candidate, uh, deputy uh, deputy justice minister, to to run for the candidacy of, of mayor of Warsaw. This candidate has been supported by the outgoing um, mayor, uh, otherwise rather popular uh, politician in local um, uh, Poland, um, who who declared his support for for this candidate. And at the same time, the main PIS party uh, put forward their candidate. Um, those two are not the favorite, as you pointed out. Uh, and now PIS, uh, looking at the opinion polls and also struggling internally with many other uh, strategic decisions like the European um, Re Recovery Funds um, uh, regulation on, on how to you know, distribute enormous amounts of money and secure their electoral uh, victory in in two years, uh, they uh, they are struggling enormously to secure uh, that all fractions of their own coalition uh, is are going to vote 
for the proposal. Uh, so this is with with um, with negotiations, internal negotiations going on. Uh, we only see that uh, they want to buy time, and potentially see that it would be some some new offer for for Zeshuf. But otherwise, this is also proving the United Opposition is able to defeat uh, the the government on local grounds, and that could become a symbol of a, of a trajectory we see in Poland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but of course the, the, these are uh, elections in Poland and then the national elections coming up only in 2023 according to the schedule. Uh, in the in the meantime, I would highlight that uh, Czech uh, politics and Czech elections coming up this uh, autumn are bringing uh, much more uh, intense political dynamics there. Yes, I mean the. I guess it's no secret, uh, maybe both in Poland and in Czechia, that uh, this coalition has also been a bit shaky. And um, it, it is still a very, very much an open game also uh, for, for later this year, how the elections will turn out. Uh, Anno and Andrzej Babis uh, in particular is uh, also feeling a little bit the heat. There is still ongoing attention on him because of Stork's Nest. Um, also a topic which we will be covering in, in, in the nearby future, um, how EU investigations continue. But then there's also all sorts of other uh, contenders, uh, pirate parties, some outsiders, which are trying to break uh, sort of the centrality or at least the, the predominance of, of Anno and Czechia. And then not to forget all, always uh, Czech president uh, Miłosz Zeman is always in also for a surprise as we've seen in the last couple of days as well, following um, the Czech-Russia diplomatic spat, uh, throwing uh, some extra oil on the fire. Um, Wojciech, what is what is your sense about uh, Czech politics now? Um, in particular, then, Anno uh, with an eye on, on elections later this year. On the negative uh, trend, uh, you would say that the Pirate Party is, uh, in some opinion polls, uh, as strong as Anna, or even sometimes uh, stronger, it's it's too 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 much ahead of the of the actual poll to see how it plays out. But but you see an um, a, a new a relatively new party, but but has already um, uh, worked and and uh, uh, been present on the Czech political scene for quite some time. So they are not newcomers. These these are not fre- this is not a fresh party. They have some political experience also in parliament. They are moving ahead, and uh, Mr. Mr. Babish is definitely. Definitely cornered. Also, um, his coalition partner is not in the best shape. They had to change their foreign minister not far, not so far um, ago, and they were presented with this new findings of the report of of Russia interference, which comes on one hand as a blessing. Because this this allows them to cover um, cover up uh, a lot of the of the discussion in the public uh, that otherwise would be on. On their on the government performance related to COVID, which is one of the most disappointing um, in 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 Europe, and uh, on on the other hand, uh, that blocks Mr. Zeman. Uh, well, we'll see for how long. Actually, he wasn't. He was. He didn't need to lo- to wait too long for him to to start a conspiracy campaign or counter campaign against this theory. Uh, I mean, theory that, that has been um, fact-finded uh, report by the services of security agencies of, of Czechia that has now been called as a as a theory. They have been labeled as, as a theory 
uh, so so to say, conspiracy theory by Mr. Zeman, who is known for playing the the Russian card very well. But mm-hmm. well, he's um, he's in a way he's sidelined in this because the the main attention is. Um, is where Mr. Babish and Mr. Hamacek wanted it to be. Yes. Then perhaps uh, looking at that, and well, since we're talking about elections, let's maybe look also at another country, uh, Hungary, uh, where next year there's going to be a, a big debacle. We now know from, from recent news that it's very likely that Gergele Karazone might be sort of the main contender from the opposition parties uh, for, for the job of prime minister. Uh, we also see uh, that, uh, well, uh, Fidesz, the, the ruling government, is very much already also preparing itself in case of a worst case scenario, siphoning off uh, state assets uh, to private uh, private entities in the case of an election that wouldn't go in in uh, in the necessarily in the direction they want. Um, what's 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 your take there? How how much of a chance does ha- Honestly, Karachone half against uh, against Fidesz. Do you see a scenario materializing there? I think his um, his pr- his name is pronounced Karachone, uh, I believe, uh, a Hungarian word for Christmas. Mister Christmas, uh, there um, is is definitely something everybody is hoping for from 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 the opposition, and he has delivered in the local elections on uniting the opposition, uniting uh, skillfully, not alienating any major partner. The opposition that already knows that they. They have tried to go separately and then they have been working for quite some time now to unite. Mr. Karachin has become the symbol of success of the opposition, a minor success, but still very significant in the in terms of this country. Budapest is, uh, after all, not only the biggest city in uh, in the country, but uh, it has a huge uh, proportion of the overall number of votes given the size of uh, of the population i would imagine that uh, viktor orman uh, not for the first time is preparing to lose elections and this time he wants to much to be much much better prepared i mean this is these are going to be painful years so just like for the united right here in poland um, even though they don't want to give away power they might fi- might find it even more difficult to rule and um, these difficult years of, of recovery post-COVID might be uh, something that they are considering to, you know, a, a necessity to to prepare, to secure that they have resources to survive mm-hmm. and uh, to bounce back. Um, Mr. Orban is definitely not going to change any any priorities that he has. His political sponsor remains uh, Moscow, Mr. Putin, and his illiberal project uh, that co- that was copy pasted in Hungary. So I think that he's only preparing to um, to have a t- tactical withdrawal and um, hoping that he can still do damage and come back uh, again um, to to Hungarian politics. But the trend is, yes, the trend is that a liberal project um, uh, has a decline of popularity all of a, of a sudden, especially in the in the recent years of of, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Is do you think that driven maybe talking about a fourth country from the region is that uh, driven also from the Slovak uh, example Chaputova? Um, we see now Eduard Heder, uh, head of the government. At least the the ship seems to be steering a little bit more in a clearer direction. Also following the the diplomatic spat between Czechia and 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 Russia. At least the priority seems to be clearer when it comes to. 
to um, to foreign policy. But um, yeah, what about Slovakia? Um, there there was an election last year, uh, but we've also seen in recent months how easily uh, the ship can capsize. Yeah, it's a fragmented political scene with Olano, the the main party of uh, Igor Matovic, who stepped down, or actually he re- he he switched places uh, with the finance minister. Um, are so so the most usually two most powerful positions in any government. They are their popularity is still high. Uh, SME, their, um, the, the previous government that is today is in, oppo- in the opposition, um, is also very strong. Uh, in, in one of the recent opinion polls, they bounced back even above, uh, that they, they were the first. They were above Olano. Um, it's not yet a trend. That's, uh, that's a hiccup from the affair about, about buying Sputnik V uh, or Sputnik V vaccines. Um, and uh, Slovakia is definitely, I would say, on the edge uh, in, 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 in many ways. I mean, from the point of view of what may happen, but also this is uh, showing that on the, on the side of the, let's say, the back, democratic backsliding, they are not really there. They have some symptoms. They were able to mitigate. There's another whole another story to tell why, but um, today they become a symbol of of uh, a su- successful resistance uh, to the democratic backsliding and to the illiberal project, um, which is uh, mostly a PR cover up for uh, for failures of of delivering on on the democratic promises first by Hungary and Poland, unfortunately to some extent Czechia, and this could lead uh, to uh, a potential uh, big diplomatic win uh, by by Breslava. I mean, this is only speculative news, but last week uh, Pravda um, Pravda um, reported in Slovakia um, about a potential visit of um, Mr. Biden in Slovakia at the Globsec uh, forum, the the forum that we've been uh, partnering up with Visegrad inside a. Uh, well, since the beginning, I believe, uh, and that uh, brings together a, dis- a discussion on democratic security, also and security proper, uh, defense, and so on, um, in in the in the capital of of Slovakia. Now, Mr. Biden is to visit uh, UK and Brussels, uh, meeting NATO and EU leaders in the middle of of June. Uh, as it happens, his visit is scheduled for fourteenth. I think 13th, 14th of, of June. And now Globsec that was originally scheduled for the beginning of June has been just rescheduled to 15th, 17th. Now you can speculate again, uh, we'll see if this is materializing, that if Mr. Biden decides to visit Central Europe where US is placing a lot uh, of, of its uh, foreign policy attention when it comes to Europe because of Russian influence, because of Chinese influence, then uh, Hungary would not be Mr. Biden's pick. Um, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be necessarily uh, uh, Czechia. Definitely not Poland. Despite Poland being such an ardent uh, uh, ally of of, of US, uh, but not when it comes to principles and norms of especially this government. So Slovakia might be actually and Miss um, Chaputova as the leader of democratic democratic uh, Central Europe you, uh, also could be uh, hosting Mr. Biden mm-hmm. to, to to send a strong signal signal to all the all the uh, rest. So time 
will show. Uh, I think we'll know uh, quickly enough uh, whether that is materializing. Interested in hearing more uh, from Radek Sikorsky on 100 days of Joe Biden in office? Then listen to our special debate with MEPs Sikorsky, Katalin Czech and uh, Vladu Bilcik. In the description of this podcast episode, you'll find the link to the recording. And we're back after the break. We're welcoming to this podcast Adam Bodnar, Ombudsman of Poland. And also something you might not know, a fellow podcaster. Adam Bodnar is also having a fantastic podcast in Polish language um, about human rights, um, uh, interviewing key people from all around Poland uh, on his podcast. So welcome. Adam, could you please introduce yourself and tell a few words about Visegrad Inside to those who are listening us for the very first time? Okay, so uh, I think that Visegrad Insight has a, a great uh, impact on uh, on shaping the discourse on uh, democratic uh, values and security in this part of Europe. And uh, uh, I'm happy to be a, a reader from time to time, but also a little bit like a contributor and supporter of Visegrad Insight. And by int- as regards introducing myself, uh, I'm working as the Polish Ombudsman um, and uh, I started my uh, official duty in September 2015. Uh, but um, right now I'm just after the verdict of the Constitutional Court, which basically sc- stated that I cannot perform any longer and basically I have to finish my uh, duty uh, by 15th July. And this case by the Constitutional Court was uh, made in order to not allow me to serve as long as the new ombudsman is uh, elected, basically. Uh, I also teach law at the SWPS University in Warsaw. Uh, So, Adam, exactly. Let's start by explaining to our listeners the case uh, of uh, of the Constitutional Tribunal. What just happened? Uh, Well, your term has ended or it hasn't. And what's the significance of uh, of the constitutional tribunal? Just uh, let's let's uh, summarize the facts about uh, what, what 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 was this situation about? So basically, I started my term in September 2015, and the constitutional term is five years. So I finished in September 2020. But under the Polish law on the ombudsman. I should serve as long as the new person is elected. The election of the new ombudsman depends on the consent of two chambers of parliament, Sejm and Senate. And the lower chamber is controlled by the ruling party, the upper chamber is controlled by the opposition. And they couldn't agree on the compromise candidate. And as long as they couldn't agree, I was still serving in this capacity. And the ruling party figured out that the best way to, let's say, remove me from the office is to involve the constitutional court. So they claimed that the legal provision allowing me to serve in this interim period is unconstitutional. And basically, it was confirmed by the constitutional court. In a, the judgment was made in a quite dubious manner uh, after 10 times of uh, delays in, re- in hearing the case with the composition of the judicial panel that was, let's say, highly uh, politically oriented. But the the end effect of this is that I have to leave uh, by 15th July. Uh, and uh, until that time, either the new ombudsman is elected in a proper way or the parliament will adopt a new law uh, providing that this interim ombudsman is, for example, somebody nominated by the president of the republic or by, let's say, speaker of the parliament. So, uh, so basically, the uh, Land Justice Party most probably will try to uh, make it possible that this office is occupied by somebody who is more or less loyal uh, to the ruling party. 
Well, yes, exactly. Let's uh, let's capture the facts. Uh, Adam, you're not member of the political party. You're not affiliated to any party or you have never been affiliated to any political party. You have been uh, a lecturer, a researcher of human rights at the, at the University of uh, now as uh, SWPS, mm-hmm. uh, previously Warsaw University, and you've been directing um, the Helsinki uh, Human Rights uh, NGO in Poland, the biggest, basically the biggest um, human rights organization, um, if I may say so, or you may you may already verify that um, in Poland, one one of the most important one, definitely mm-hmm. with one of the longest history, also doing that. So you're coming from a civil society. Your your position has been never politically compromised, and what we are possibly facing is exactly that, uh, political comprom- um, uh, compromising the, the institution for the sake of party interest. And as you say, uh, having a party loyalist um, sitting in this chair, uh, that would uh, politicize many of the issues that are, otherwise are um, uh, general human rights concerns um, and making them you know, polarizing issues in the public debate. Is that, is that more or less where we are, if, if, I, if I capture it right? Uh, you capture it right. Uh, yes, I was uh, always, uh, I was always affiliated um, with uh, non-governmental sectors. So I was working for more than 10 years for the Helsinki Foundation of Human Rights. I was promoted to this position by the coalition of NGOs, uh, and it was quite a big success at that time uh, because uh, the, my uh, nomination was uh, uh, presented by uh, uh, organizations, and somehow we've managed to achieve the political support for my candidacy. Although I didn't have any specific links with the with any political party, you know, during my term, I, I tried to do everything what was possible in order to protect rights, and you know, and I basically I behaved like a typical human rights defender, so like tr- truly loyal to the constitutional, international human rights treaties, and basically to human rights um, uh, standard, um, and. Um, but but obviously these days it is uh, very much uh, political activity when you try to be loyal to human rights, especially in Poland, because when the government is restricting uh, powers of different institutions, when the government is attacking uh, uh, judicial independence, then if you stick to principles, then you become uh, a little bit like an enemy uh, to the ruling uh, camp. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I think this um, situation concerning my office is uh, a part of the bigger story. So it is not just about the office of the Ombudsman. It is rather a series of events of restricting uh, checks and balances institutions and different uh, spaces for pluralism in the Polish uh, political uh, discourse. So uh, when we look I- into a Polish situation and this road towards hybrid democracy, liberal regime, basically it is just a repetition of certain stages that have been made already uh, previously in in Hungary. Simply, I was one of the last uh, independent uh, institutions uh, in Poland, and that's why uh, I think the ruling party didn't really like me to continue in the service. You know, citizens uh, will continue to struggle with uh, human rights. You've been representing individuals, you've been representing uh, communities and cities, communes basically uh, all across uh, Poland, traveling uh, to to the small uh, villages, places, and I understand and non-discriminating between the location, you know, and the and the electoral results there. So you've been covering all spectrum of the political debate when it came to their uh, struggles with big capital or with uh, 
uh, environmental issues, as I understand, or um, or others. You've been uh, representing people also kept uh, in closed uh, asylum, be, be it uh, psychiatric institutions or uh, related to their mental condition, or um, or arrest or pe- imprisoned people. Um, so there is a vast area of, of representation when you sitting in the office have been taking uh, taking initiative um, because I mean that that was your prerogative that was your duty and still is until 15th of July now my question to you is um, what can be done if a there is no ombudsman sitting in this chair and therefore there is no legal there is no legal right to to initiate from the office uh, representation of, of those cases what can be done and how can it be done what's your recommendation and second point can it be still done if there is another person who potentially not not for sure because senate is opposing uh, this um, uh, partisan uh, appointment but but if there is somehow who somehow slips through um, as you said through a, a technical legal trick and is nominated as a president for being a party loyalist in the in ombudsman chair. What uh, civil society or, in, or individuals can do, or uh, other actors in the field, to uh, to fight for human rights in uh, in Poland? I think that uh, even if the partisan candidate uh, is uh, appointed as the ombudsman, uh, still I think this office will serve to quite many uh, Polish individuals because uh, there are always you know different violations when you simply need somebody to intervene. And there are a number of cases that are simply non-political. So, you know, uh, I think you must be really um, incompetent and lazy not to do like a proper job uh, with respect to to uh, some of the cases that are uh, that are submitted to the office. Second, you know, it is pretty big office, you know, 300 lawyers. So people uh, will have, uh, sorry, 300 uh, uh, employees, uh, including 200 lawyers. So basically, you know, there will be a space for, different daily uh, interventions. So I can imagine that uh, even with the very partisan uh, new ombudsman, uh, this person will still provide for some level of protection. But the point is uh, that there are a number of issues and topics which are controversial in nature and which go against interest of the uh, of the public uh, power uh, in the interest of the, of the government. And... Uh, it depends a lot on the ombudsman how you react to different cases. What kind of uh, what kind of approach do you uh, adopt? Like for example, uh, let's take into account you know what happened in Poland for last half a year. We had like series of different demonstrations, and people were held in custody in the police custody over the night uh, for the participation in these demonstrations. And it was my principle that my people uh, from the ombudsman office should be there, should be with them, should observe. What is the treatment of those people at the police custody? And let's imagine we have the, another ombudsman, ombudsman who says that, no, you know, we are, we are not going to react. Maybe you'll write some letter, uh, but we will be not present. You know, so it's a question of quality. You know, how do you do, you do your job? Uh, second point is that there are some cases that are uh, heavily uh, connected with the general political process, like those cases concerning judicial independence. Uh, so I try to intervene in all those cases. I try to protect those judges who are subject of repression by the ruling party. Uh, I intervene uh, both at the domestic level and at the international level, being also party to proceedings before the Court of Justice of the European Union and the European Court of Human Rights. And let's imagine that there is an ombudsman who says, 
you know, no, everything is fine with those cases. You know, there is no any repression. It is just a political activity of some judges, you know. And moreover, if this person tries to present some alternative view to those issues uh, at, the, at the European level, justifying governmental policies, you know, it, it might mean a catastrophe from the point of view of this uh, argumentation that we have some problem with, uh, with judicial independence. And finally, we have some cases that are uh, uh, ideological in nature. Uh, in my opinion, they are not ideology. They concern like very, uh, very precise human rights, like cases concerning LGBT people or women's rights cases. And so let's imagine that the partisan ombudsman is presenting the view that, you know, LGBT persons should not uh, be offered the same protection as regular uh, citizens of Poland or that it is not his priority. Uh, let's imagine that this person uh, is for example, saying that uh, it is the absolute right of parents to educate their children in accordance with conscience and beliefs, and it means a total prohibition of any uh, sexual education classes uh, in uh, public schools, or it means uh, a restrictive access uh, to uh, contraceptives, or uh, that this person is promoting the protection of, uh, of life as beginning from the moment of conception and not, uh, uh, which means that uh, you are in favor of the total ban on abortion. Uh, so, you know, so you might, so there is a danger that the new ombudsman is creating a completely different interpretation of rights, a very much conservative, a little bit like, you know, this alt-right type of uh, argumentation based on some traditional beliefs, uh, religion, and uh, uh, and some hesitance towards a traditional liberal concept of uh, of human rights. So, so it might mean a lot from the point of view of human rights because it would undermine the mm, uh, the current conception of uh, mm, current approach to uh, to human rights as it exists starting from 1989 uh, in Poland. And that kind of a view will have a legitimacy of the state uh, institution. Yeah, but at the same time, I remember an argument that you presented for uh, our Polish outlet, Respublika Nova, saying that uh, democracy as we knew it is no more in Poland, and therefore the opposition, but specifically civil society organizations, need to rethink their strategy. Mm -hmm. And here's my, uh, again, I'll, I'll try to rephrase the same question. Mm -hmm. um, what is your recommendation in the view of potential, uh, you know, in, in, incapacitation or in, in, uh, the incapacity of, of the ombudsman office mm -hmm. to perform uh, many of the tasks that you just enumerated. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the, you know, the, the, the case is lost, we should all forget it, or there is, a, there is some potential for action and what's your recommended course of action for... Um, I don't know, legal companies, advocates, uh, CSO, individuals, how to, how to proceed with uh, human rights um, cases in Poland? You know, I think that um, in the civil society and in the public sphere, we cannot uh, for sure have a vacuum. So I think that uh, simply after my uh, leaving the office of the ombudsman, uh, suddenly... Uh, you know, there will be no chance for intervention in numerous cases. Um, and uh, I think that people simply will start to uh, not to refer some issues or some uh, cases to the ombudsman because they will not have that kind of a trust they had to me. Uh, or I can imagine that after some of the statements of the 
of the new ombudsman simply uh, they will do some uh, some general trust into the operation of the institution you know and i observe it like looking at the activities of the ombudsman for children who is uh, the who was a person uh, affiliated with the ruling camp and after a couple of public statements and interventions uh, he was not regarded so important as so important as he was in the very in, in the very beginning so he lost a lot of his let's say institutional legitimacy but it means that this uh, void this vacuum will have to be filled in with some other activities uh, and i think that even over last years polish ngos have managed to um, to uh, learn some new techniques uh, and some new ways to fight for uh, human rights. So, for example, right now we have a number of organizations that are doing uh, professional uh, strategic litigation. I think we are much more powerful as the NGO sector with advocacy uh, tools. Uh, we know how to make uh, demonstrations on streets fighting for uh, for rights. Uh, we can. Uh, we, I think we have quite extensive transnational links with uh, with other uh, NGOs. Uh, also, the litigation at the ECHR. Uh, and the Court of Justice of the European Union is um, is growing, uh, and uh, and finally, uh, I think uh, we have much more skills regarding the use of social media, but also crowdfunding for our activities. So I think that all of this, uh, like steadily, will fill will uh, filled, uh, will fill in this vacuum created by the uh, loss of the. Uh, ombudsman office uh, of the of the independent ombudsman office uh, and also i see some sign of it like for example you know i mentioned those demonstrations and uh, the fact that they have been uh, observed by my people but please note that during all those demonstrations every detainee every person stopped by the police had a representation of lawyers acting pro bono or let's look at polish judges you know all of them are professionally represented by the best lawyers in the country uh, so, so it seems to me that that people understand the problem, how uh, uh, in how vulnerable situation we are, and uh, that as a civil society and as uh, you know also world of academia bar association, we have to create like new structures uh, in order to fight back, in order to fight for uh, rights, and that is uh, that is how I see also my my mission in future. That you know I think that. I should support any any such movement. I don't know yet in what capacity, but 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 most probably, you know, I will be present here, you know, in the public discourse, uh, and I will try to be involved into different uh, initiatives. But I don't know yet, uh, you know, how because I think it is too early to uh, to 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 assume it and to predict it. You know, how should I should I do it? But but uh, but the, as you said, uh, it is not uh, over. You know, it is the just over of a certain institution. In a certain form, but but let's hope that uh, that we'll be able, as a civil society, to create some alternative um, uh, structures for protection of rights. Uh, you mentioned you just mentioned also this transnational element, which is particularly from importance in our uh, work at Visegrad Inside Building Democratic Security for the Region. And I'm wondering how much of this experience that you just described, and also of this recommendation, is more universal than just Poland. How much do you see if, if you ever had time because you're extremely busy of course with the number of uh, cases in uh, in Poland but how much do you relate to you know you mentioned Hungary and I remember you've been 
been looking, uh, investigating Hungarian cases. I think you have some very good insight through even in some of the professors you 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 know uh, from 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 Hungary. Uh, I'm I'm wondering just you know how much of of this issue is an a truly at least regional, if not you know broader um, European issue. How how you look at that? But let's let's focus on the region, Central Europe. I think that there is a, a comparison uh, between other Central European countries and uh, and Poland and especially. Hungary, because uh, I think, uh, you know, like this general talk is that uh, after 89, we have imported uh, different uh, institutions of a democratic state, like the constitutional court, like uh, uh, independent uh, judiciary, different checks and balances institutions, but we didn't spend enough time on uh, convincing people why those institutions are important to them. Um, second, uh, I think, you know, what is quite striking in Poland, and it seems to me it is also in Hungary, is this uh, chilling effect uh, uh, in the operation of the state, that you make some reform, but at the same time you um, you increase a fear among people who are civil servants, prosecutors, judges, and at a certain point they start to behave uh, in a way as not creating any troubles for themselves. So it is a little bit like in communist uh, Poland that you you had like this kind of internal limits of what you can say, what you can do in order not to create problems for yourself. Uh, and sometimes, so so you create, uh, we name it uh, chilling effect, but it is a little bit like self-censorship uh, activities uh, uh, that are somehow deeply in your mind. And it seems to me that they are a little bit part of our uh, of our history that we didn't have those you know centuries of building like really reasonable, professional, reliable um, uh, uh, civil servants, judges, prosecutors that would just stick to the law. That you start to you know uh, think about some you know consequences of your actions and about you know the psychological dimension of the of your uh, of your profession. Uh, but I think there is like a third phenomenon, which is universal and which does not apply only to uh, to, to Central Europe. I mean this attack on courts. Uh, please note that we see this attack on courts in other countries, in the United Kingdom, in United States, uh, in the Netherlands uh, recently. Uh, and why this attack is uh, is possible? Because courts do not have mechanisms to defend themselves. So, you mean political po- political uh, attack? Uh, I mean, like political attacks, yeah, like undermining judicial credibility and judicial uh, independence. So, if they are attacked and if they are put in the spotlight that they have given some wrongful judgment to the society, they do not have natural instruments to defend themselves. And in times of social media, they should have them, but uh, but they didn't have time to create those mechanisms. So, please note that what is happening right now in Poland is that judges at the same time are defending themselves, but also they are trying to change a complete discourse uh, about their profession, about their role in a society, and to con- and they try to convince the society that they are important to them. Fortunately, in Poland, they have a support, huge support of uh, civil society uh, sector, but in my opinion, it is one of our uh, biggest lessons from those times that we should prepare uh, organizations in all different countries of Central Europe, but also Western Europe, how to create a machinery that would support courts in case of danger, in case of political attack uh, on them. Because it may happen in every uh, country. We have such initiatives like the Free Courts Initiative, 
uh, headed by four prominent lawyers in Poland. And that proved to be extremely important from the point of view of fight for independent judiciary. But in my opinion, we should simply export that kind of um, uh, practice into other countries of Europe. Well, I think this is a fascinating lesson, exactly a fascinating lesson from Central Europe to the world. And uh, we are uh, pointing out that, you know, this is these are not just peculiar oriental exotic cases. These are at the, yeah, these are ex- sometimes uh, exposing weaknesses of the democratic setup uh, um, globally. But they happen, um, as, 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 as time has shown and time flies, uh, they happened uh, for the first time here in, the, in this part of the world. So it's, um, it's a good lesson and good study for, for the rest of the democratic uh, uh, community worldwide. Thank you, Adam. Thank, thanks so much Thank for you. participating. Thank you. This was Adam Bodnar, the outgoing Ombudsman of Poland. Thank you for listening to the Visegrad Insight podcast on Central Europe from Central Europe. You'll find more stories like that on our page, visegradinsight.eu. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to participate in discussions in which also sometimes we have invited Adam Bodnar and we will invite him um, for an online video interactive discussions, Uh, for subscribers, then join the club. Use the join the club um, code at checkout, subscribing to Visegrad Insight, and uh, you will be also receiving invitations to the events that we organize exclusively for uh, the diplomatic, think tank, NGO, and journalistic community in Central Eastern Europe and for our subscribers. So join now, join the club, use the code join the club, and receive two months for just one euro. We have recorded this podcast together with Quincy Clute. My name is Wojciech Przybylski.